How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? This is Christian with Liberty After Dark, and today we're going to be bringing you something a little bit different than what we usually do. This is the first part of an episode that I did entirely through the chat. The chat that we use is through a group called Liberty Memes. We use the Liberty Memes Patreon members to host a live stream for every episode. If you didn't see that in our introductory episode that we did. But this time, instead of having like a guest on and me talking to them, uh, I just spoke with the chat. And they brought up topics. We conversed. Uh, you'll hear me sometimes reading things out loud that'll be people from the chat room, they're giving their two cents or asking questions or something like that. And it was a lot of fun. We'll see about potentially making this a more regular thing that we do if you guys enjoy it. But I won't hold you much longer. Just make sure if you enjoy the show that you subscribe and rate it on whatever podcast provider you use. And please stick around to the end. Uh, have fun. Uh, John said I stopped voting and now I focus on spreading ideas. Um, I continue to vote. And focus on spreading ideas. Um, I'm not trying to one-up you. I'm just giving you a hard time, man. It's just, uh, I, I, I can't tell you anybody what to do. If you don't want to vote, you don't have to vote. However, I would, I would much rather have all of these people in this group pretty much voting than 90% of the population. So, registering Democratic to vote for Yang. So, Yang is the one with the UBI, right? You guys want to talk about UBI for a minute? Uh I don't know if I'm pretty sure you're just memeing, but <laughs> I mean, I, I've heard libertarians in the past. This hasn't been in this current cycle because I think the it, it's too real of a threat at this point for most libertarians to talk about it. But I remember it was leftist libertarian talking points was to implement a UBI to get us off of the uh, uh, modern welfare system that we have today. So. I talked about this in the last episode, but if we were to do a UBI tomorrow, I have two requirements because I don't think a UBI has to be a bad thing. Because remember, I'm interested in making our way towards a freer society. We can't do it tomorrow, obviously, but we can get there, right? So two requirements, and then I would support a candidate running on a UBI. One. It's either we, we get more money or less money. Okay. I know I did, that wasn't point two, but that was point one. We get more money for less money. And two, it replaces the current welfare system completely. Which means that if Andrew Yang's uh, $1,000 doesn't cover it, I believe his first name is Andrew. We'll just say Mr. Yang. Um, if, if his $1,000 a month doesn't cover supplementing uh, the universal basic income needs of, of a culture society, which, you know, it, the whole idea is that you're not supposed to be able to just live on this UBI. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't see a point in doing it. Um, we already have systems and safety nets set up for the lower income earners. And so if you're, if you're just stacking more money on top of everything we have, now we have the issue of, oh my God, we don't have enough money to pay for anything. So I, there, there are there are drafts of a universal basic income system, and I kind of toyed with this idea. I tried really hard to make it work because I feel like that is literally the easiest way to scale back welfare. If think about it this way, this, this is like a tactical move, right? You implement a UBI, it's like thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars a month, or whatever, right? And over time, you kind of roll it back. You know, you take you lower taxes. You roll back the UBI. You lower taxes. You roll back the UBI. You lower taxes. You roll back the UBI. And before you know it, you don't have any taxes. You don't have any welfare. And you can do this very easily by taking just a flat chunk off of the universal basic income instead of being like, okay, well, today we're going to minimize, you know, we're going to reduce food stamps and, and we're going to take this away from Medicare and Medicaid. No, it's just like, it's a total freaking nightmare. And, um, the UBI would be completely, uh, in, in my opinion, should be almost completely automated. Almost completely. So, John says, really, my tax liability would drop to 0% under Yang's proposed UBI. I'm selfish and hate taxation. I hate taxation too, but... So, so here's the thing, is that it's... 
hey, I hate to say this, but I mean, like, cool, that that may work out for like me and you. I don't know how much money you make. I, I don't make as much. I, I'm not very I'm not a rich person. Pretty poor. If you look at just how much I make in a year and I would make, you know, if it's a thousand dollars a month, like he was saying, that's twelve thousand dollars a year. That's like it's like half my fucking paycheck right there. That's that's quite a boost. Let me just put it that way. And it's it's quite a crazy, crazy nightmare of a situation to, uh, you know, to think about where we might be like I'll be 50 raising my income by 50 percent, pretty much negating any taxes that I would have taken out of my paycheck, which you shouldn't even be taking taxes from someone who makes a, gets a UBI. Like, does that not sound completely backwards? Like, it's kind of like how a refund is. Like, no one should be getting a tax refund, if we're completely honest here. That's a, it's quite a ridiculous idea. Just, they should be taking the money they need, spending the money they need, and saving the money that they don't need. Um, Yeah, I, I, I'll just, I want to read this comment real quick. John said, I can't post in here, but the old welfare cliff graphic shows that a single mom is better off making $29,000 a year or 29k a year with 57,000 in net income and benefits versus making 69,000 with net income and benefits of 57,000k um oh i see i think i see what you're saying Sorry, I'm rereading that again because I, I I think I'm missing something here. Benefits are are way over twelve thousand, meaning the UBI couldn't replace the welfare system. Um, well, I I actually kind of as a rebuttal to that, I don't think that's really true at all. Because I mean, I think it is true in certain cases. Let me say that. Um, I mean, I I grew up in a single household for a long time, and we didn't get jack crap. I mean, we got like food stamps. You know, it's not always, it's not like everybody has access to these things. So it's, you know, you can't say like, oh, every single mom is going to get $29,000 in benefits or whatever. You know, it's, that's not, you know, maybe like tax credits, if that stuff like that is considered, which I, I don't know if it is or not. But like I said, I, you know, you may be right. Those are just my two requirements for UBI. If if we can't meet those requirements, I, I don't, I don't want it. Keep it away. Gross. You. Uh, eliminating my income tax makes him my BFF. He, I don't believe he's talked about eliminating the income tax unless I'm, this is like brand new information. Uh, another one of those, the math just doesn't add up type situations. Like, yeah, I understand that there are going to be people in like the poorest of poor who would be screwed by getting rid of the welfare state for a UBI. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say that that's not the case. And there would be people who don't need a UBI who got it which would happen anyways in a UBI. However, comma, you know, I, 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 I think that specific graphic is a little too cut and dry for really that to be like the, this is the perfect example. Like, I, I think you really don't have to go any further than saying there's a, a disconnect between the poorest of poor and a thousand dollars every month, uh, which is why when you stack the two together, that's what everybody really wants. Um, uh, it's either uh, or for those on welfare currently, according to him, and either or. Okay, see, that's that's an option. That's an option. I don't know how I really feel about that. The standard deduction is 12K, so the UBI would be tax-free. Uh, all money earned above that will be taxed. The welfare system is insane the way it exists today. Seems like John uh, has looked at it well. Yeah, I mean, the welfare system is insane. It's, I mean, it's just gotten easier to take over the years, which I understand that's also a part of the equation that didn't really apply to when I was a child. But it's not, you know, I, I, there, there are some nuances to it, which can make it difficult to say like, ah, like this graphic applies to everyone. There are some individual situations that have to be taken into consideration, including state to state as well, with some of the benefits that are available through there. Uh, so that's always something to think about. So, John, I understand what you're saying. The standard deduction is 12000 so the UBI would be tax-free. But it's not tax-free it's, it's tax for you, which is cool. But it's not an overall tax-free program. Just think about it this way. If you're still getting back 
your federal income taxes with a UBI, which I think is even more preposterous than being able to, or, you know, to, to apply those deductions, then, I mean, the, the government's literally handing you a paycheck every month, and then you're going to go and say, well, this is the reason why I don't need to pay you, even though you've been paying me every month. Like, if we're just talking about status mindset logics, like, something's not adding up there. And I would, I would struggle to justify the almost guaranteed increase in corporate and top 10% taxes, which, you know, people are talking about adding two, three new tax brackets to the top, which I just think just shows a complete lack of understanding of where the money really comes from. Um, dang, I, I just, yeah, the, the fact that we look at an income tax as one of our primary sources to fund all these programs is quite preposterous. The trouble with replacing a UBI for like, I totally understand what you're getting at. For you, it's a it's like a tax neutral thing. Like you just, you gain $12,000 every year and you don't have to pay a dime extra in taxes in theory, right? If, if you're paying a, a zero balance in taxes and you don't owe any at the end of the, the year, uh, worse, you, worse, you might get extra back if you pay a ridiculous amount into it or something like that somehow. But, uh, you know, I'm sure there are ways to game the system in either direction if you really wanted to. However, comma, uh, I, I can't help but stress enough how not okay I would be with the increase of corporate taxes that would be needed to fund, you know, let's just say it's, it's 200 million people, which some, you know, it's hard to find an exact number of people who qualify for UBI. It differs between each program. Um, but you know, you have to look at things like, is there an income cap? Like if you're making $50,000, are you going to get those $12,000? It's kind of a big deal. What about a hundred thousand? I mean, it's not exactly, that's a 10th of your income. So it's, uh, you can't, you can't just sit back and you can't look at something like a UBI and just look at it from the perspective of yourself. Um, which, you know, do what you want, man. I mean, if you want to vote for Yang and register as a Democrat and get your UBI, it's, you know, it's, it's really, I mean, if that's your prerogative, I can't tell you what to do. I would just strongly urge you to, to, to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. That's all. Um, I'm selfish too, man, but I also want to be above the pay grade I'm at right now in the future. And I also don't want to screw myself out of potentially, you know, quite a bit of money. So I think I'm just future selfish. If you want to look at it that way, the whole libertarians are selfish argument. Um, instead of being today selfish and saying, man, look at all this money I could make on a UBI. I could make 50% more of my income. And then I incre we increased taxes by 30% on the top brackets and create a new bracket and all this other, you know, oh, we'll, we'll do a 90% income tax on the after every dollar after 10 million or whatever it is, which just saying that out loud almost gave me a brain aneurysm. If we're going to be completely honest here, that's, that's like one of the most asinine topics on planet earth is just taxes in general just just the idea that anybody has a right to anybody else's money is uh is whack honestly i know we say taxation is theft all the time and it's kind of like memed a little bit and especially in things like lmcg like oh taxation is theft and some people are like actually believe it's necessary to live in a civilized society i think it's like the ultimate form of collective just complete bull crap. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's maximum, maximum levels of, of screwy. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and read this comment real quick. Cause I'm not gonna be able to talk about something else and read this block, this little block of text here. So let's go through this. this is, Ooh, I got a topic for later. Uh, economists are perplexed that wages are stagnating. We talked about this a little bit. Yes. Or last episode. So I already know where you're going with this after a massive corporate tax break and super low unemployment, why do you guys think that is? Uh, how do you feel companies pumping all that tax money into stock buybacks instead of investing like uh, economists said would happen? Uh, if an economist said that would happen, they're, they're smoking the J. The, the day of the, self, the self-sustaining corporation 
with like the Henry Fords and people like that, or even, you know, into the fifties and sixties is pretty much gone. And we were talking about this. I, I made an observation over the last couple of weeks. The, 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 the split between earnings and income is really after we were taken off of the gold standard. Now, a lot of things happened in that same time period. We were taken off the gold standard. We moved to a fiat currency. We had the 80s crash. It was, you know, within, within a couple of years, lots of, lots of big, big troublesome things happened. And I, I can't say for certain exactly what caused it, but that was really when we started having this departure. And some people believe there, there are a couple of theories about why we have wage stagnation. And it, it doesn't pay to pay your people more. Um, in some cases it does, obviously we haven't had total negative wage growth. There has been wage growth. It's just not enough. And it's an actual issue that I believe the free market is doing a really, really shitting job at, at doing so. Is it okay? So I, I really want to talk about this a little bit more, but we're still on, we're still on this whole UBI thing. I John says I'd like to look at a 0% federal income tax. Yang is proposing that for me. I have no choice. Are you going to make any other sort of money? Like do you have another job? Because if you're getting your $12,000 a month or without if you're getting your $12,000 a year from that UBI, you're still going to get taxed from your regular job unless you're going to like move in with somebody and just crash and chill on $12,000 a year which you know, if you, I mean, if you can pull that off, that's fine, but that's just not the kind of life I'm looking to lead, you know? <laughs> um, John says, I think part of it is outsourcing of the digital age. Um, no reason to make competitive wages for Americans if we can get cheap labor somewhere else. See, but we're not, we're not a labor-based uh, economy anymore. If you're in a labor sector, you need to get out of a labor sector. We're just moving. Every year, we get further and further and further away from supporting a labor sector. We're in service-based sectors. Um, obviously we'll need some manual labor for the end of time. We have to, but pretty much if, if you think you might be able to be replaced by a robot, just sorry, learn to code, you know, <laughs> um, well, we're in a, we're in a service based economy. This is something I talk about all the time. I hated when Trump was on the campaign trail and he was like, we're going to bring manufacturing back to the U S the only way you could do that is if we drop corporate taxes to like 0% and then we just let them go buck wild and we didn't we didn't pull any taxes from them which I'm not saying we shouldn't do but it wasn't going to happen. Uh investing in labor saving equipment is another thing that businesses do which is smart because if you have to pay the less employees you make more money, right? Um I I can't throw shade at a business for making the smart tactical decision. I can say that we do have a problem. Service is labor. It's not, it's not, I mean, yes, you're doing work, but it's not, there's, there's different terms, economically speaking, for a, what is considered a labor-based or manufacturing-based or a, a goods-based is what some people will call them, which I don't think is a good term, economy, and a service-based economy, which is like, how may I take your order is your primary form of labor, not building roads or something like that. You can't outsource manual labor, but you can outsource customer service. True, but we've made it to the point, actually, not true. <laughs> um, because if you look at the outsourcing of manufacturing, that's the outsourcing of manual labor, 100%. We have a bunch of Taiwanese and Chinese workers making Nikes in a sweatshop now instead of Americans making them because we have a higher standard of labor requirements than they do. And we also have a higher income standard than they do and a higher tax standard. So, so, so just the last comment on the UBI before we move on, I don't want to, I don't want to stay on this topic forever, but he said the 0% would be my effective tax rate after UBI. If that's the case, do what you got to do, man, do what you got to do. But I, I think that's, that's pretty crazy. If that's true, that's, that's whack. I don't understand. I don't see how that system's going to be sustainable without taxing the ever living crap out of rich and corporations. But Hey man, you know, if it works for you, go do what you got to do. Uh, that's what I mean by labor though. We're outsourcing our service jobs. I'm thinking Indian call centers. 
Okay, but we don't base an economy off of Indian call centers. They're, those are like super low-income jobs that we have. I think it's a good point about uh, outsourcing manual labor. It's, it's all going. If it can go, it's going to go. Okay, we, we're way too bougie for that here. Um, the, the only things that are going to stay are the things that need that human touch. And the second we get to a society that is more acceptable with having, you know, freaking robots man cashiers and stuff like that because people are still very adverse to using self-checkout and stuff like that which is the only reason why entire supermarkets aren't basically self-checkout with two people running the front and a couple people stocking the back which is a crazy idea to think about um i mean you already have like the amazon stores i don't remember what they're called but they're completely cashierless they're they're staffless all they have is people in the back stocking shelves from back to front you never see another person working there um, and they have like this smart theft prevention system and detection and all that. Uh, manufacturing is like 8% of U.S. employment. Exactly. That is, if you look at a country like China or like Taiwan, or if you look at Indonesia, even places like Malaysia, you're going to see it, about a third or more of their population is involved in manufacturing of goods, which is you know, that's what I would call a, a manufacturing based economy. You know, I think Taiwan's probably even more than that. China's probably even more than that, honestly. But I think Malaysia is like right around a third of their economy is about is, is manufacturing. Like a third of their gross domestic product is from making things. So that's I mean, that's a big deal. You know, when you have 8% like in the US, like this is it's an important industry. We still have manufacturing, but how much of that is done by humans as well? We have so much automated manufacturing in the U.S. Um, you, you have people in factories who oversee these things, but it's not like we have someone who's sitting there welding your, you know, your uh, Chevrolet uh, Chevelle together, you know, or anything like that. It's this is the those days are gone. You know, it's it's a bunch of robots doing it. Which, again, I don't think is a bad thing. We've seen a net increase in jobs over the years. We haven't seen any, anything to suggest that jobs even have really the capability of disappearing. It's not productive to businesses for all, like a huge unemployed sector to exist. Um, this is something I do give like. I give bigger businesses a shit for this because I think it's time that we go back to what I alluded to in the beginning where we look at having an economy that's based on like the Henry Ford model of if you make cars, you should make enough money to be able to buy one of your cars. Like if Mercedes-Benz vehicles are really manufactured to the standard of being like amazing, I don't know how much they make. I know some of the guys that like AMG that are engineers there make like buku dollars, but if, if you know if you work for like Mercedes Benz or one of its subsidiaries, you should be able to afford a Mercedes Benz within a reasonable time frame. That was the Henry Ford model. If you worked for Henry Ford, if you built Fords, you should be able to buy a Ford. May not be the best one, but you could buy one. And your first off, that's good for your business, especially if you make big, you know, products that last multiple years like that. You're just putting the money that you spent on them back into your business. Uh, and second off, it makes just more economically mobile people in the lower class, which is important. Like pretty much the definition of being poor is not having economic power. It's, it's not a good place to be. It's not a productive place to be. If, if you want to look at, so there's this, uh, what's, what's, what's the term it's selfish something. Uh, it's basically where you elevate the lowest class as much as possible because you want everyone else to do better off because of it. And that's true. There's this myth inside of libertarianism that there has to be someone making zero dollars, which I need to preface this. Unemployment will always exist. So don't, don't, don't twist this to be thinking like ending unemployment or something like that. Unemployment's good for mobility inside of an economy, but you know, that there has to be some, person living in the poorest destitute that needs to stop being poor for there to be people who can succeed and to thrive um maybe globally you could make a claim like that like i think it's, it's a bit preposterous to say that it has to be that way but um i i think 
to a certain extent, if you want to have people living in a, in a world with finite resources, we can't all be living these, ex, you know, what by global standards are extravagant consumerist societies like the U.S. and the Western Europe. You have to have your your places like, you know, your Indias and your, well, I mean, India's getting there, but, you know, your manufacturing-based economies that are that are all designed to support the machine that is the consumer-based economy. Uh, I don't think we should go back either. I, I, I don't think bringing back manufacturing is what we need to do. I think we need to bring money back to the consumer, okay? And we need the consumer to be able to proliferate this existence of a consumer-based economy. Uh, so giving this money to the government is is really just hurting us in the long run. Because the more we can increase the overall spending power of the people of the United States of America buying these consumer goods, the better off we're going to do for the entire planet. Because everything you buy from China that you're spending that dollar on, okay, you know, say what you want about China. But let's say Taiwan. I know a lot of people like Taiwanese manufacturing. It's every dollar that you spend on Taiwanese manufacturing is making those corporations in, in Taiwan a little bit richer. Or at least the ones that have a ba you know facility out there where they produce their goods. And that's important because the bigger they get, the more products they can make. The more products they can make, you know, they can make it cheaper. They can make it higher quality. They can service more people. By increasing the economic power of the individual, we are making the, the, the consumer-based economy that we have even stronger and more important. So um, manufacturing is on the way out. has been for decades. It, it will die a slow, painful death as the last really big manufacturing jobs either leave or are automated. But, uh, you know, I, I think, I think we're just, we're just kind of lying to ourselves. If we think, you know, every time, every time a Republican gets on stage and they talk about bringing manufacturing back, unless they couple that with an extreme corporate tax cut and environmental regulation cuts, then it's it's not going to happen. I mean, you saw Trump's tax cuts. How much manufacturing did we bring back? A little bit? Maybe? I don't know. Not enough. Not as much of a change as he said he was going to do. He didn't revive Detroit or anything like that. So it's just part of the deal at this point. It's part of who we are, what we are, and the lifestyle that we as Americans want to live. Um. You know, it, it would be a huge change in our living style. So manufacturing is being replaced by hipsters making custom furniture and selling it on Etsy. If the market provides, man, if there's a market for that, net outflow still, they're not coming back. Yeah, it's 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 not coming back. Um, I, I think this is like the third time I've said this. I think it. The, like literally the only way to bring back large scale manufacturing to the U S is to have a like 0% corporate tax on manufacturing and to cut environmental regulations that make it harder to do large scale manufacturing like that in the U S which I don't think is going to happen. I think that, I think if you say that someone is going to be able to push that through the house, you're, you're high, especially any short term time frame, which is really Let's be honest, like that's that's all that really matters when we're talking about creating jobs. Long term, we don't know what's going to happen. If you if your goal is to make, you know, a million jobs in the next 10 years or something like that, you're you're looking way too far out for how how fast the world changes today. Um, I mean, look, if you said I want to make a million jobs in 2000, you literally had no idea what a smartphone was at that point, And you have no idea what that's going to do for the whole electronics industry, for the, for telecommunications, for, you know, having a cell phone was still optional at that point. Like it wasn't like you have to have one of these to be a functional member of society. Some of the poorest people in the United States have these and they paid for them. Like, because that's how important they are to have. Homeless people will at times have cell phones because it's more important for them to have a smartphone than it is for them to have a roof over their house. So why is Ben Shapiro live on my LMPM newsfeed? Am I Ben Shapiro now? Oh God, is that a thing? I don't know how to take that. You can't push, a, uh, push on a string. Uh, Keynesians are convinced aggregate demand is what determines the health of an economy when it's actually investment. On, a, on, on paper, yeah, like, but both sides kind of have important 
points to be made. I don't think either of them really needs to be blown off. Both Austrian and Keynesian economics can be useful at times. However, what I will say is that investing into future labor at some extreme percentile, like I was talking about earlier, which is, I think, kind of what you're getting at, is not very it's it's just not it's just not wise we need to be looking at creating jobs in the short term to get people who are unemployed and not willfully so into the workforce uh and it doesn't have to be permanently either i really despise the fact that people think that once someone gets a job out of unemployment they should always have that job um you know maybe maybe it's just like a temporary operation that they get a job at and I'm not saying the government has to sponsor these, but I'm saying, you know, this, these are the things we need to be looking towards. Um, competition made it so homeless people can afford cell phones. Government made it so no one can afford healthcare or education. Yeah, it's a, so true. Tech, tech like that just, you know, there's kind of a theory that smartphones have like almost peaked, really. But, I mean, besides just getting faster and faster, there's not really much to innovate on them. Uh, we've already figured out that we went from really tiny phones to having, we like having big screens of glass in our pocket that are very fast. And, you know, so anything that happens with smartphones is going to be directly related to computer hardware development. So at this, at this point, it's, it's almost like the industries are more tandem than they ever were. We need to eat the willingly unemployed, turn wasted space into food. Yeah. If you're, if you're willingly unemployed, um, which is so there's a there's a small group of people who are willingly unemployed who technically aren't retired uh who you know don't receive retirement benefits who are a very very small majority who are just living off of their prior income or a very small minority is what i meant to say and it's you know obviously i i don't want to eat them but i i anybody who says i don't want to work make me live is yeah that's it's just like a like a waste of oxygen. I'm sorry, whatever brainwashing indoctrination made you think that you actually like have any right to exist on this planet. But newsflash, like maybe I'm just harsh. No, nobody, nobody is like nobody is 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 guaranteed even the basic amenities when they're born on this world. And I don't think just because we live in America that that is all of a sudden a thing. You you are not born therefore. This man has every need taken care of for the rest of his life. I think it's a it's not feasible first off if we want to have any sort of free society and it's also not it, I don't think it it breeds good ethics um you know it's empathetic. I'll give that it's very empathetic feeling for another human being um maybe I'm just too cold and calculated for that <laughs> it's uh yeah, I wouldn't say eat them. I don't know about eating them. I know you're just kidding. Uh, but I, uh, I don't have any sympathy for someone who's willingly unemployed. Uh, there, there was the, the Bernie rally, which I don't know if you guys want to transition into talking about the shift in democratic candidates tempos. Um, but there was a guy who was at a Bernie rally who was basically like they were, they were interviewing him and he was basically talking about how he was unwilling to work. And he was like, I don't you know, I, I get no fulfillment out of working. I just want to live my life and, read comic books and, you know, jerk off in the corner and all that. And I just, you know, like I, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't see myself just sitting around for the rest of my life, just collecting scraps of income or welfare from the government and not absolutely hating myself for doing it. Um, like you're a leech at that point. And someone needs to get a, nice stick and burn the leech off uh, i mean at that point you're probably not even making enough money you're not making enough money well first off it's coming out of your pocket you in the in the chat right now to pay for this guy to exist so the argument that you know, oh him not being poor based off of a welfare system would make him more economically mobile and it would make him you know it would it would benefit the economy that's not true because your tax money is going to make him richer, which has to go all through the bureaucracies and the bullshit. And if you're telling me that $1 from you becomes $1 to him, I'm going to tell you, haha, that's funny. Cause that's not how, that's not how this works. 
Yeah, I, I don't know what the exact conversion would be, but I think it would be much closer to like $1 out of your paycheck would be 75 cents in his. So you're just making a net loss in total economic mobility for the independent citizen. Um, zero sympathy. Zero sympathy for the unwilling to work. Um, I can understand going through like a stint to where you have the money and you just don't want to work and you're just like, I don't know, in a rut or something. And you're like, I just want to take a couple of months up, backpack through Europe or something like that. I don't want to work. And then you come back and you be, you know, you adult or you do like the hippies did where they, they were will, willingly unemployed and they, they tried it out and tried to be willingly unemployed. And then they said, well, I guess it's time to cut my hair and get a suit and join the workforce. And guess what? All the hippies got jobs pretty much, <laughs> except for the ones that got rich from a music career or something like that um, or sold drugs, I guess. So, and even then they're employed, they're just not legally employed. So yeah, I think we can also help burgeoning industries by opening up the economy to the more taboo forms of, uh, of labor, like, um, you know, legalizing prostitution, despite what you may believe to be the ethical ramifications of that. I don't think a government is really the place to be determining that. Um, that should be more of a community thing. Um, and you know, obviously voluntary. Um, I also think st opening up stuff like, uh, uh, I had, a, I had another great example in my head that actually was, Oh yeah. Like legalizing narcotics and stuff like that. Or not even legalizing, decriminalizing narcotics and whatnot. Um, obviously you'll still have a couple States that are against them at the moment. There always will be. I saw prostitution was making a comeback in New York, which kind of makes sense. Um, they'd make a crap ton of money off of it over there. Legalized recreational crack. I, I don't I don't care, honestly. Uh, I know some people think that's like a silly statement whenever, you know, I say um, I, I don't think we talked about it in the last episode. But, you know, sometimes I'll say, like, I don't care if you want to legalize heroin. And they're like, oh, heroin, like, kills people and ruins lives. So I'm like, well, are you going to do heroin? And then they're like, well, no then what's your argument here? It's like, if you're going to do heroin, you're probably going to do heroin. I don't know if accessibility to heroin, especially if you know how bad heroin is for you, is going to make you do, is make you more like, maybe it'll make you more likely to do heroin. I don't care. You know, <laughs> I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, I don't think a centralized authority has the right to tell you what you can and can't put into your body. Pretty much. Um, it's, you know, it's just part of the deal. Uh, you run into implications where it's like, oh, well, you know, you do heroin, you can like, you have a miscarriage because of it. And that's like murder. And, you know, we get into some ethical arguments there, but that's a to in my opinion, completely separate from the, should you be able to do hard drugs question? If I wanted to, I should be able to snort the longest line of cocaine off of this table and scream into my microphone before my heart exploded. But, you know, <laughs> I have no desire to do that. I like living, so I'm not going to try to shorten it or ruin my body with, you know, extremely hard drugs like that often. So, <laughs> oh man, that's kind of one of those beep boop libertarian talking points. We can, we can get into some arguments about the like nuances of it. Like some people draw the line like meth and heroin and yeah meth and heroin ruin people's lives opioid addictions ruin people's lives um but you don't get an opioid crisis because there are opioids you get an opioid crisis culturally because people are stuck in destitute have you seen regions struck by opioid crises it's not exactly like they're booming parts of the united states of america uh it's it's quite the opposite actually <laughs> Out of all the things that have happened over the last 48 hours, I have gotten like one news update other than this. And it was about it was an analysis of the, the Bernie Sanders campaign and how he is shifting himself to be the new front runner. Um, I, I don't know if he is yet. I, we're still way out from the election. I think it's a little too too early to be talking about who's going to like win the primaries. People have a lot of time to put their foots in their mouths. and They've already been doing that. But we've seen some very, very hard campaigning for this early on in the election cycle. This is, you know, this is super early. This is like 
three, four months earlier than it was last year. And for some reason, I just feel like it's just going to keep getting earlier and earlier as time goes on. Um, you know, it was like Elizabeth Warren sort of opened up the floodgates by announcing first. I think she wanted to be first. Uh, obviously, she did nothing with that momentum because she's not even like close to the ideal front runner. But yeah. I got like eight notifications the day Cory Booker announced his campaign. Uh, well, I mean, that was a big deal, honestly. Um, he was throwing it around. I mean, Biden, right? Bi Biden's in there. Um, or is he still like tentative? I don't know yet. He's going to run. If he doesn't run, I'll, I'll eat my shoe. Um, it's, I would be, I would be blown away if he didn't. And I'm 99% sure he announced somewhere or it got leaked from one of his staffers that he's going to be running. They've been campaigning since the orange man was inaugurated. Yeah, it just wasn't so blatant. Like instead of me being president, it was just them getting the publicity, which I guess is part of the process. Like you have to be somewhat out there, um, you know, one for Harris and zero for everyone else. Uh, Kamala Harris is still the front runner. I don't think there's any doubt about that. She has the intersectional base. She has the uh, establishment base. Unless Biden steals that, which if Biden runs a hard campaign, he would steal the these establishment base from Kamala Harris. She has the sort of fresh face, sort of uh, approach. She's been in for a much longer than all the fresh cats have, but... She's not, you know, someone who's been in politics for 40, 50 years, like the Clintons and Trump and pretty much everybody else. Well, okay, not Trump. Sorry. I don't know why I said Trump, but, you know, like Clinton and, and, and the rest of the pretty much Elizabeth Warren has been in like politics for forever, basically. It's an interesting thing watching Kamala Harris gain all of this traction because I don't I don't think she would have been successful four years ago or three and a half, three years ago, whatever, whatever it was at this point, uh, it's 2019. So three years ago, I guess she, she, she's taken a hold of a very unique movement that we have going on right now. Um, and I think the big debate is going to be between Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders. I don't know. I, I was pretty positive on the last episode that Kamala Harris was going to take it. But Bernie has just been getting ungodly support. It'll depend on if the DNC screws him for Kamala Harris. That's that's what it will come down to. It comes down to whether if if Bernie can pull super delegates in the for, for the DNC to get the nomination for the Democratic Party. Obviously, you know at that point he's got it. But if he can't work the establishment in his favor, and Kamala Harris keeps the establishment backing, she's going to be the number one uh, runner for the democratic party. And that's, that's a scary idea. Super unpopular opinion. Okay. Um, you know, I really don't want Trump to be president again. I'm probably going to vote libertarian again, unless we get like bill weld or something, which I know he said he's not going to be running as a libertarian, but you know, let's just say he flips at the last minute. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to vote for like John McAfee or something like that. Sorry. If you like John McAfee, that's cool and all. He's just, yeah, he's, he's not, he's not my ideal president. Um, Kamala Harris is a cop. Kamala Harris was a prosecutor. Kamala Harris was a prosecutor that did a lot of bad things. Kamala Harris as the district attorney was an absolute crap, shoot of a, of, of a district attorney for California. Um, Sanders has raised the most money, and to an extent, John, it's this is a race of dollars. Uh, campaign dollars kind of like it's like a self-fulfilling cycle almost. The more money you have, the easier it is to advertise to people. It's like a you know investment-based businesses to where it's like, oh, look at all this you know you know net revenue that we have or this net income, and they'll they'll spill it this way, and then they get all this investment money, and it's like, oh, look at all this investment money we have, and all this capital that we have access to it's like we need your money too and it's the same way with like a campaign it's like oh we've raised seven billion dollars or whatever you know i don't know how much he's raised at this point probably like six seven million dollars wouldn't surprise me he raised like three four in the first 24 hours so if he's if he's past seven eight million dollars at this point it wouldn't surprise me at all um 
Uh, leftists love old white men telling them what to do. Uh, yeah, he's... So I was going to get into this. I think Bernie would be less bad for the U.S. than Kamala Harris would. Because Bernie is just extreme enough that nothing he proposed would ever really happen, probably. Because uh, we're... If history is to be repeated, we're going to have a red house with a blue president. Or we're going to have a blue house with a red president. Um, I don't see Trump winning again. I really don't. Um, if a libertarian candidate gets more than 10%, I'll eat my other shoe. And yeah, it's Biden might not run, but he has until October to decide. So I thought it got leaked through his, maybe it was one of his like campaign staffers was like, Hey, uh, or not campaign staffers, but one of his, his staffers that he has right now was like leaked out that Biden's going to run. Cause there's, there's been a lot of talk about his placement among other Democratic candidates. Um, you know, and, and who knows? Maybe the Democratic establishment said, like, no, Biden, you got your time as vice president. Have fun with your new political clout. But Kamala Harris is going to be our front runner. So. I don't know. We'll see if we'll see if Bernie can win over the uh, the DNC. I think Bernie can pull the popular vote. Easily can pull the popular vote. I don't know if he'll win the whole shebang. And if we see another popular vote loss, I think we might have a, we might have a debacle on our hands, honestly. <laughs> um, Gabbard is a millennial, but Democrats don't like her very much. Well, yeah, being, being a millennial doesn't necessarily automatically make you, you know, a, a, a big fan, but Trump's base is so energized right now, though, with the MAGA kid and Jesse Smollett, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I'm energized about that stuff, too, but I'm not Trump's base. Um, if Yes, you're not wrong. Trump's, Trump's base is so energized right now, but they don't have to be energized now. They have to be energized and stay energized throughout this entire election cycle. And um, I just don't. I, I think. After he became president, a lot of his supporters backed off of him. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric from people who voted for Trump who are not happy with Trump. Um, and, and, you know, there are people who didn't like Trump before and don't mind him now. And there are some people who've just accepted the way he is. There's a whole slew of things. But I think he won by too slim of a margin in states that are flipping in, in his popularity. And that's not a good thing at all. Like, if you look at, I mean, basically the whole, what, what would you call that area? I don't know, Central East, you know, where all, you have all of those big ticket states that you have to win. The tariffs hurt most in the states he needs to win, and he barely won them. Yeah, I mean, he. I, I think it's very important to realize that Trump was not like a landslide victory. This was, this was really close. Um, just a couple of days of news, like not... The FBI not dropping that bombshell right before the election could have completely swung the whole thing. Uh, I'd love to see an election where someone wins a majority of the votes, but no one wins the Electoral College and it goes to the House. Um, we'd really have to have a a really freaking close race at that point. Uh, well, it, it would have to be a big th a three-part party at least. You know, I mean, I know that sounds kind of like, no, duh, it has to be, but... Uh, maybe maybe in a couple elections, libertarians can pull like 10% and then be considered real party and, and get a little more organized and a little more structured and, you know, less naked people walking out on stage. Not that I don't, you know, I'm making a comment about his message behind that, but that if you're trying to pull people over to libertarianism who aren't already libertarians, it's a bad way to do it. Trump started campaigning a week after he won the election. He is 90 times more than any of the Dems right now. Yeah, I mean, he has been campaigning. He, he, he knows he has to keep his base energized. Trump can't leave his supporters alone. Because if he just lets them sit there and, and get the, the spiel from everybody else around them, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not pretty. I'm also a little bit concerned about um, Texas. You know, as being from Texas, Texas was closer than it should have been, but it was pretty, it was pretty hard Trump. Um, I mean, okay, I say pretty hard. It was a Trump state. There was, there wasn't like, by the time about 50% of the votes had been collected, we, we had realized that, that Trump was going to be winning Texas. 
Um, he was projected for like a ninety something percent likelihood to win Texas, which is which is what should be expected. But since then, even since then, we've had the uh, Ted Cruz and all the Beto O'Rourke. There it is, Beto. Um, he he did very well in Texas in the Senate race, which is like the most un undervoted typically position in in major politics like a lot of people care about their representatives for some reason people just don't get energized about their senate leaders i think it's like a statewide thing i don't know and you typically have older people you typically have more males voting for senate so the fact that they were able to get this this out of the nowhere uh running for a a, a young energized base of of liberals to get out and vote for this Beto O'Rourke guy was kind of kind of scary honestly um I thought Ted Cruz was gonna lose for a second obviously that just shows I suck at predicting elections but I mean there was like this freaking you know we talk about the blue wave all the time but by Texas standards this was a freaking blue tsunami just kind of came out of nowhere uh, this man had huge support pulling massive crowds uh but you know what the old people came out and voted for Ted Cruz and that's what that's what ended up winning it you know, 20 years from now, when the boomers all start dying off, we might have some real issues here. Unless the millennials really flip into conservative habits and the old adage that the older you get, the more conservative you get stays true, which I think would be very interesting to see from, you know, a larger scale. But like I said, who knows what the world's going to look like in 20 years? You can't guess anymore. 20, 20 years ago was 1999. That was a totally different time and place than 20 years is now. Way more so than the like 50s were from the 70s. This is, yeah. Just think about that, guys. 2040 election. Who do you think is going to be running, huh? AOC versus... <laughs> I wonder if she'll be able to keep her magnifying glass of polit political coverage on her. Because she, you know, she... I, I talk a lot of smack about AOC because I pretty much just agree with everything that comes out of her mouth. But Steven says, God, that makes me feel old. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's just the truth. Um, you know, we, we are having, we, we got some big changes coming. I don't know what they're all going to be. I can only predict some of them. But, um, man, I really hope all of you that were old enough to raise a millennial did a good job. And they get through their, their blue phase. Because I'm not saying I want them to have a red phase either. I want them to have a yellow phase. But this is where I get into the trap of like, I really don't want socialism, like really, really bad. But I also don't want Republicans running everything either. But if, if you were to ask me if, if the Libertarian Party just like disappeared into the vapor of, of space and just they all just poof, they got Thanos or something. Um, I, I would I would have to vote red in this current political climate. Uh, but I did. Uh, yeah. And that hurts me to say that that really does. But I, I'm one of those people who like fears socialism and the negative impacts that it will have on us. Oh, if you had to ask me today who I thought was going to win the presidency, I don't know if I see Trump winning it. We'll have to see. We will have to see if they're going to try to drop some bombshell on Trump last minute. It wouldn't surprise me if, if there's like, a bunch of people who are sitting around right now instead of tarnishing his re reputation now or trying to do something to undermine his credibility now i could totally see a little scheme going on in the background to build up cases against him which everybody's pretty much doing everybody who's running right now is building up like what is essentially a dossier on everybody else who they know is running to try to find their weaknesses and to combat them there this is my biggest complaint about campaigns is that if you want my vote, the easiest way to get it is to have like a clearly defined plan. Uh, obviously, there are going to be changes to the plan. There always are. But having a clearly defined plan is a good way to get my my vote. So when I see Bernie post out things like this is what I'm running for, like a, a Green New Deal, but my version that I haven't defined yet that isn't AOC's. Like, well, what does that mean? And people, people don't care. His voting base doesn't care what that means. They just see the term and it energizes them, for lack of a better word. They say, I like this thing. Vote. I never actually expected him to make the whole term 
Uh, I thought he was going to resign after two years and sell more memoirs. Really? Um, I don't. I don't see old Donnie T as the resigning type. Possibly could have been. Could have been a potential. Th- those first two years were like super rough. Like it's kind of mellowed out now. Honestly, I don't know if we've just gotten used to it, but man, they have been on him since day one. You know. Obama got a break every now and again, but this guy has just been getting blasted and in a lot of cases, rightfully so. Um, I'm not going to say that he like, oh, you guys need to be like nicer to him. You're being mean. No, I, I think a lot of cases he definitely you know, has shot himself in the foot multiple times during his presidency. But oof, was that like a rough first two years? And that was when he had the backing of the house. Now he doesn't have the backing of the house. So Anything that he wanted to get done is pretty much game over at this point. I actually bet money that he would be a one-term president. I think he's probably like one of the most likely candidates we've had in a long time. I don't think anybody was seriously thinking Obama was going to be a one-term president. Nah, honestly. I mean, Bush? No, he's pretty, he's pretty established politically. He was, he was going to make a second term. I, I just couldn't see. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see Obama losing a second term. I could see Trump losing a second term. I could. I, I think there is enough of an anti-Trump push, even from inside the Republicans, that I'm not saying they would go out and outside of the Republican Party and vote, but they may just not vote. That's an option. We'll see. Military, police, state, socialism, or healthcare, education, socialism. Those are your only two choices. Sorry. Uh, secret option C, none of the above. Uh, that's, that's, what's, that's what's horrifying. And, you know, I, I will give Trump credit. Pulling out of Syria and Afghanistan was probably one of like the best decisions he's made as president. Um, I know, of course, of course, everybody's like, oh, well, this one general you know, says that you shouldn't have done that. And I'm like, of course he did. Like his one job is to wage war. Of course he's going to tell you that he needs, you know, we need to keep waging war. That was like when everybody was, uh, Mattis was mad whenever we pulled out of like everywhere. And it was like, you were talking about mad dog Mattis. This is not exactly the man who is well known for being the biggest advocate of peace and moving away from conflict like he's he's definitely a a hit the nail with a hammer kind of guy i thought trump would uh redice i i i think he tried maybe proceed maga i thought trump uh achieved and not run for a second term to get out before the next recession oh predict sorry i should just look like a little bit further down turns out he's gonna be He's going to go for full eight and he will be nearly 80 years old. That's another thing to think about. I mean, I know like Bernie's got like one foot in the grave, but we have three presidents, three former presidents. If you count Trump as a former, you know, current and former who are like all within six months of each other's birthday, Bill Clinton, Bush and Trump are all 72. That's pretty crazy to think about. Pretty crazy to think about. And these are like presidents with, decades apart from some of them uh and they they were all born within about a six month time frame so i don't know just goes to show you you could be old and still run for president bernie's a perfect example of that i i've seen a lot of people paying attention to who bernie picks as his vp which is like so morbid so morbid to think like you you really have to care about who your vp is when you vote for somebody like bernie I think Trump looks younger than he actually is, which I think is important. Bernie does not. Bernie looks like an old man. Looks like a crotchety old man. Looks like your your old crazy great uncle. Trump ran on great deals and the best health care. And China. Billions and billions and billions. Trump ran on nothing, basically. Clean coal, like that's that's like one of the most nothing statements I've heard in political history. Um, he ran on a personality and a, I'm not them, and I'm gonna shake things up. It, there was there was no like platform really. There wasn't like oh well we're gonna do this and that. It was once he like 
pretty much got into office was been like, okay, well, we're going to do this whole like regulations thing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so lucky he was up against Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I've always said if Bernie Sanders was the Democratic primary, he he Bernie Sanders would have won the election. We'll see if Bernie could do it this time, but I don't know. I just don't know. I just see Kamala Harris taking the, the nomination. I know I've said that multiple times now, but I, I really just see Kamala Harris just running running this thing through and possibly losing. If she's up against Trump, she's like one of the most likely candidates to lose against Trump. Um, she's so unlikable. So unlikable. <laughs> and she is boring and dry to listen to. But she has the backing and she has some of the money to get there. So money isn't everything unless you can pay off super delegates. Money isn't everything. That's it's always important. It is a very big part of it. You need to have enough money to campaign, but once you have the money to like get a campaign rolling, everything else just kind of falls into place if you can make it. Uh there's you know, I mean, we could talk about this for forever. Um obviously nobody that maybe will try to put their ticket in for the red side is gonna I don't know if the RNC has already said, like, yes, we're just going to go ahead and put Trump up for the nomination. Obviously, that's tradition is that they would just roll him in. But, uh, you know, I, I don't I haven't heard of anybody announcing that they were going to try to run against him. Possibly they will. Um, I think it's pretty much expected that if they're, you know, if it gets to that point, he's going to get, you know, they'd be daft to not put him up. He has the most probably the most likely chance of winning on the red side. I don't think putting a new face up there would do us any good unless Trump just magically announces he's not going to run for reelection, which would be dumb. This is his best chance of making it. Um, I think, he, you know, as much as I say, like, I don't think he's going to win. I didn't think he was going to win last time either. So I guess screw me. I mean, I, I didn't see there being any chance. And then like the last two weeks was like the craziest before an election, you know, news cycle we've ever had. And it was just bombshell after bombshell after bombshell. And then before you know it, it looked like you were in the middle of like a des just desolate wasteland of bombshell news topics. And it freaked everybody out enough and energized the base. So there we go. I think there's one so far against him. Yeah. And it's probably just like some dude that you've never heard of. Who's like a representative of some tiny little district in Pennsylvania. You know, he's just getting his name out there. It's not a bad move for someone to like throw their name out there as like, hey, I want to run as president because people care. People care if you want to run for president. Um, but, you know, it's probably just a political gambit. I highly doubt that this person thinks that they can win against Donnie T. I would highly doubt. Oh, it's Bill Weld. How many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? Oh, God. Bill Weld. The convert turned traitor. <laughs> he's always, he's always been a Republican. Always. Even when he was with the Libertarian Party, hard Republican. Super obvious. All right, so that's the end of the first part of the episode with the chat. The next one is about an hour and some change long. I have to finish editing it just slightly. I wanted to keep this as much as a live feel as possible. So every once in a while we get into some tangents. I have <laughs> the occasional difficulty reading a typo or something like that. I didn't, I didn't want it to lose the feel that you were just kind of you were there and you were uh, you know a part of the conversation or at least in your in your own way. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Like I said in the beginning, I kind of am looking towards making this a, a more consistent thing that we do. Hopefully uh, you guys will feel the same way. And if you would like to share that opinion with me, you can reach me at contact at libertyafterdark.net. You can also do your part of spreading the podcast by sharing it to your friends and rating it five stars. You can share any of the links on your Facebook profiles or pages. You can also like the Liberty After Dark page. We are available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, pretty much where anywhere you might want to look at a, listening to a podcast, you can find us there. Other than that, I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your night. I don't have anything else for you, so look forward to the next episode here in a couple days.